0: Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the FT Advisor Podcast. I'm David Thorpe, Special Projects Editor at FT Advisor. Today we are looking at the prospects for global equities in the year ahead. It has, of course, been a tough first six months of the year, though there's been a little bit of rest by this summer. The reality of high inflation and the prospect of even higher interest rates mean it has been a difficult time to be an equity investor, as markets struggle to price in a range of potential economic and societal outcomes. Joining me today to discuss the topic are James Thompson, Manager of the Rathbones Global Opportunities Fund, John Moore, Senior Investment Manager at Bruin Dolphin, and Jason Barbora Sheen, Co-Manager of the 91 Diversified Income Fund. Thank you all for joining me this morning, chaps. Uh, James, if we start with you for the first question, um, to what extent do you feel equity valuations right now are pricing in the full range of probable or possible negative economic and market outcomes.
1: Well, the cruel truth is that uh, valuations are a terrible predictor of future performance. But where are we at the moment? Valuations are 20%, 28% cheaper than they were at the start of the year. But in 2000, the market got 28% cheaper and then went on to fall a further 27%. In 2008, the market got 28% cheaper and then went on to fall a further 38%. So it's impossible to know what exactly is being priced in. But we've just experienced the second highest drawdown in four 12-month PE multiples in the last 30 years. So clearly quite a lot of bad news has been priced in. Well, I think one of the most interesting contrarian signals is that bad data is starting to be seen as good there was some poor second quarter GDP data that was met positively by the market because I think it opens up the door to a more balanced Fed. We want to see a slowing economy because that means that interest rate rises are having an effect. Inflation is starting to drop meaningfully and we're potentially closer to a Fed pivot.
0: Thank you. Um, Jason, your product at 91 Um diversification is one of the the priorities on on that mandate but how how do you think about equity allocations within that right now
2: sure so we in this fund are effectively trying to create an alternative to fixed income assets and specifically with a diversified income fund to more high quality or lower risk bonds like government debt in that context equities are designed to provide us with an attractive level of income so we're focused on Income-generating or dividend-yield equities, and that is an attractive place. I think relative to a lot of fixed-income assets. If we look at it relative to history, most bonds, most corporate and government debt yields less than it did 20 years ago. Whereas a number of equity indices yield uh, yields more than it did. I think ultimately, though, it is about that question of uh, what risks are are being priced by the market. So I think some of the more recent optimism has come on the back of hopes that the Central banks will be able to ease a little bit. Um, We are somewhat more cautious around that. We think there is potential that this is more of a a head fake, a bear market rally. than it is um, an indicator that fundamentally anything has shifted and allowed the Federal Reserve in particular to move towards an easing bias. And I think within that context, income equity is an interesting place because it can does behave more defensively than global equity. And in particular, relative to those indices, Concentrated in, in long duration equity assets such as the tech sector.
0: Thank you, um, Jason and John. Obviously, as a senior investment manager at Bruin Dolphin, you you can like equities, or you could you could choose not to. But how, how do you think about them now, and what's what's really priced in, um, to the different uh, markets right now? Um, I think w- when we
3: meet um, with advisors and clients. You know, the topic of conversation is definitely the, the fear factors that we all see. So uh, it's clear that they're well-established. And one of the reasons that I think that they're well-established is that they're very personal to us all. So inflation, uh, higher oil prices, they're very personal to us all. And so this, this is a very personal um, you know, pullback. And that's very different to the situation in 2008, 2009, whereby the banking crisis was very... Significant for the financial services sector, but actually on the high street, it wasn't necessarily an event. So, this is a very personal um, aspect. That in itself brings behavioral change and challenges um, because we fear inflation in terms of our own personal circumstances. And we see the impact that this sort of event in the last sort of six months or so, the annexation of Russia, inflation, all sorts of uncertainties we hadn't thought about. Are now front and center of our risk budget and and what we think. Um, so that is that's a challenge. That's a personal challenge, and that's quite deeply ingrained. Often, when we think about these challenges, we, we look for something like capitulation in markets, and I don't think that we've we've had that yet. However, we we definitely have had a shock that that suggests that we are quite well established in knowing and reflecting those worries, I think that that's a factor. The, the bit that I think is missing is that businesses have not responded as yet. I mean, we often forget, we ask people to be long-term investors because we're, they're invested in businesses. So that's what equities really are. And how that business responds, how does it deal with the, the challenges of supply chain, the challenges of employment, um, what impact that has on margins, what impact that has on working capital. And that... has still to develop the execution of that has still to develop so i mean to be you know a capitalist you have to believe in optimism um and it would be optimism around execution and that development that would bring us to a better place so i think recognize that there are challenges out there be open-minded as to how things develop and let's see how things sort of pan out um and it's about patience and and being very clear about the data that
0: starts to develop in front of you thank you for that and john if we stick with you for the next question uh could it be time to have we reached a level maybe the capitulation level uh where it's time to revisit some of the areas of the market perhaps in the tech sector u.s equities more broadly uh which have fallen furthest
3: well, we all love a bargain, right? So, so we've all got that initial sort of retail desire. We walk past the shop window; something was five pounds. It's now one pound. Great, we should we should buy that. The sobering thing, or the thing that we have to correct ourselves with equity markets, is that it, you know, is that an investment that makes sense today? We we don't have that reference point of five pounds. It doesn't mean anything to us. What we need to really assess is what is in front of us today is that a business is that an asset that we can make money on when I go back to those points about execution about working capital about progress from here um you know I think some of the, the issues with the technology sector um are, are probably optimism that has been either misplaced or optimism that has been pushed to one side as other challenges have come in challenges that we did not see um and you know cost inflation, um, for, for staff is a problem for technology as it is for anything else it's much lighter uh, business. The, the way that I would see it is that first and foremost, particularly for the technology sector but, but with wider application, um, it's about having financial strength and durability. Have you got a pool of profits that allow you to maintain uh, and grow and deal with the challenges that are immediate? That's the first thing. Secondly, have you got a balance sheet where you can expand? Can you uh, invest into a market that is challenging but may improve in time and therefore you can benefit from that? Um, and I think if you have those, you know, that pool of profitability, that balance sheet for investment, um, and you have the price discovery that, that the last six months has delivered, there will be opportunities. There's no doubt about that. But you need to be clear about execution. You need to be clear about the business. And it's financial strength to deal with what
0: could be quite a challenging period for some time, but also a period of opportunity. Thank you. Um, J- Jason, um, I know tech is not necessarily a natural habitat for an income fund, but, but are there some sectors that you've been looking at that have, that have fallen quite a long way and are, are becoming interesting?
2: I think the important thing when you're talking about in- income investing is, is to define your parameters. And I think one of the mistakes that is sometimes made is to focus solely on the level of income or the yield. And that can be quite a, a poor decision. It can often lead you towards businesses where yields are actually vulnerable or they're indicative of risk in, in, in the underlying assets. I think what we try to look at instead is how durable, how resilient is that income? And then what's the the sort of capital risk attached to the asset you invest in? And so that often leads us towards things which are just above the the average. And the average for reference on the all-country world index today is around uh, just just 2%. So we think we we need to focus on those areas which are just at or above that level, but where that income stream is reliable. And, And tech's a really interesting place because ultimately for us as income investors, as you say, those businesses which are very much focused on forward growth are not paying out earnings. They instead uh, are making the capital allocation decision typically to reinvest them into the business um, or to conduct uh, growth opportunities. And so they haven't made the decision to pay out capital. I think you can find a sweet spot in that industry, though, where the business is stabilised but still has some potential for growth. And I think one area of interest is data centres for us within within the real estate Uh, sector. So we've been adding to uh, data centre REITs, to one data centre REITs in particular, where you're getting um, close to that 2% yield, but with about 10% growth uh, or high single digit growth per annum. And I think that area of the market is quite interesting. It corrected by about 30% from its highs in June 2021. Um, There's a very strong structural growth story coming from data consumption over the long run. And I think there you find uh, a sort of barrier to entry created by the nature of the underlying asset. They have network effects in terms of how customers interact with it once they're connected to the data center. And as I say, you have that sort of structural growth story. And the yield is not um, particularly high, but it is, we think, durable and it, and it has the potential to grow. So I think that relates to how you view income investing. Uh, it shouldn't simply be through the lens of what's the highest dividend.
0: Thank you for that. And uh, James, you'll have many of your peers green with envy because you mentioned before you we went on air that you're still in net inflow. Um, but how are you... What, what sort of opportunities are you finding to deploy that capital? And is it a case of you are, you are bargain hunting, you are buying the £1 things that were £5?
1: Well, the technology sector is a, a natural hunting ground for a growth investor like me. But I still believe the unprofitable tech companies, the the Kathy Woods tech like peloton and zoom uh, should be avoided it's hard to know what the future holds for them uh, but we'll probably never experience another full lockdown that benefited those pure pandemic winners tech is down the most though across the market eight multiple points down from its peak and now trades on 21 times just slightly above its 30-year average I think the comparisons with the dot-com days are wide of the mark. Back then, tech and communication services represented 46% of the market, but just 23% of profits. Today, it's 36% of the market and 32% of profits. So a much more balanced contribution and a much more mission-critical industry than it used to be. So I've been adding... Uh, to some technology and consumer discretionary stocks, another area of the market that's been beaten down. I've bought Apple, LVMH, Home Depot, and Adyen, over £200 million worth of purchases uh, over the last few months.
0: Thank you. And, uh, John, uh what what do you think a defensive equity allocation looks like in the current environment? I don't know if at Bruin Dolphin you have funds that are uh, portfolios that are called defensive, but obviously you have clients at different uh, ends of the risk spectrum. And what does what does that look like now in in the equity context?
3: Yeah, so we run portfolios for advisors based on their risk profile. Obviously, within that, that we can flex things like the equity weighting. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, at times of uncertainty, like uh, just now, we can we can move uh, down the equity weighting, uh, perhaps have dry powder for for later on, and I have talked about opportunities and and perhaps reasons to be flexible. And for me, I think that's that's probably one of the key things is is not necessarily to have um, a very kind of uh, black and white view of of the environment that we're in just now. I think it's an environment of great change. And often that continues for a lot longer than you would want it to to be. You might expect it to to happen. Um, I think within the, the the context of what is a defensive equity, I, you know, from my point of view, I mean, you can point to uh, different sectors, different uh, particular stocks, um, and I'm sure my um, my fellow podcasters here will, 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 will call some of those names out. And um, again, I go back from my point of view. I think the defensive nature of an equity will be. Its ability to execute and deliver in line with people's reasonable expectations, perhaps exceed people's revised expectations. So it comes down to this idea of delivery. I think I'm much less sort of focused on it being in a certain sector or in a certain area. It's much more about delivery and about achieving a momentum um, and the, the ability to get a path for shareholder value. I think that is going to be very important. And I say that in contrast to the last say, uh, two years or so where we focused on a pandemic period whereby we were just happy for businesses to have survived that period. We were all happy to have survived that period as, as well and, and as individuals. So um, you know, execution and profitability and cash flow were, were less of a focus. Um, but for me, they're much more of a focus at this point in time. So that aspect of being defensive, I think, is about your ability to be sure about um, how something delivers uh, to gain confidence in that, and as you gain confidence in that, other people will come to join the party and push the value of your asset higher so that's the sort of way that I would sort of view it, and I think we, we talk about it a lot in our asset allocation um, and our investment selection um, so it's a
0: subject that we 're quite restless about, and that really is where I think we are with that thank you uh, Jason um how, how do you think about uh, defensive in the in the income context?
2: I think it is a, that resilience of income stream, and ultimately you then have to consider the valuation attached to that. So it's the, it's sort of tempting to say that, for example, utilities companies here look very defensive because ultimately their earnings tend to exhibit little volatility and they can weather uh, a recession. I think ultimately though, what that can miss is the fact that they've already performed very strongly relative to other sectors in the year to date. So I think ultimately you have to look at the valuation in combination with the earnings profile and also have a concept or a consideration of the um, nature of where investors are positioned. So I I do think that real estate is one area that's being overlooked currently. It isn't actually as defensive as some some think in many ways because there is clear cyclicality in the earnings streams of, of many real estate companies. And in particular there, I'd highlight retail and office. But I think if you look at, for example, tower companies, um, mostly in the US or, or logistics companies, then those do exhibit very stable earnings profile. They've been hit somewhat by the rising yield environment. So they're trading at more reasonable multiples now. So you have some degree of cushion, I think, should the economic environment deteriorate further. And ultimately, I think that's providing you with a degree of defensiveness. So I would I would propose that those present a more defensive profile. I'd suggest that financials Uh, present less of a defensive profile. And that is even with the decline that we've seen in the share prices of many, particularly the US, less so in the UK companies this year. But the reason we're more concerned about those is that ultimately the credit environment does appear to be worsening. So credit conditions in the US have tightened quite significantly. That's true of of market implied data, i.e. where we see credit spreads, but also of fundamental surveys. So for example, if you turn to the senior loan officer survey in the US, which the Federal Reserve uh, place quite a lot of emphasis on, then we think that ultimately um, those areas of the market could be more at risk going forward.
0: Thank you, James Thompson. I'm not sure uh, defensive is is really what you're what you're thinking about right now. But if you were thinking about that, uh, what what does defensive mean to you in the context of the Rathbones Global Opportunities Fund?
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean running a global growth fund doesn't mean I have a license to be reckless and. Uh, I I always have a defensive or weatherproof allocation in the portfolio, about 20 percent of the fund at the moment, and it can vary between 15 and 25 percent. And that was really a direct reaction to my dismal performance back in 2008, which convinced me uh, of the need for enhanced risk management, that I have to own some less economically sensitive, less GDP-correlated investments. And They've been my best performers year to date, stocks like Costco, Coke, McDonald's, uh, Mondelez, which owns the Cadbury's chocolate brand, uh, a pest control company uh, in the US called Rollins, uh, and even a garbage collection business, uh, no longer just the, the preserve of, of Tony Soprano, one of the most defensive but still growing businesses in the, in the market. Uh, And even in the last recession, uh, uh, revenue growth never turned negative. So it's important ballast in the fund. But on a five-year view, I don't think these will be my top performers. The problem is that pure defensives are very expensive relative to the rest of the market. They're trading at record high P relative to the market and really similar to what was seen at the worst point of past recessions. That's, the, that's what they're in the portfolio for, to be some ballast and defensiveness uh, in, in more difficult times. And when the market recovers, uh, it will be our more pro-cyclical uh, and economically sensitive names that outperform.
0: Thank you for that James and um, if we stick with you for the for the next question as you've kind of touched on and indeed all, all of the, the guests have uh, we've seen some sharp divergences this year to date in how different equity markets or sectors within markets have uh, have performed but could we be getting to a point where we start to see greater synchronisation whether that's um, a melt upwards or, or a lunge downwards where, where everything kind of
1: uh, falls or rises? I think we're in a world of erratic and inconsistent returns, where factor and style shifts blaze up quickly and then burn themselves out. I think we'll see large divergences, uh, particularly by sector and style. Just as we saw oil and gas stocks up 60% at one point this year, we'll see similar inflections in other sectors. Uh, Many just want to retreat, uh, but I think that would be wrong. Market timing is a dark art, and some of the best returns come when you least expect it. Over the last 30 years, if you've been invested every day in the S&P 500, your average return would have been 9.9%. But if you miss the best day, just one day in 30 years, your return would drop to 6.1%. And if you miss the best 20 days and the compounding effects of those good days in the market, your return would actually go negative 24% annualized. I think this is an environment that calls out for balance. A blend of reopening and pandemic winners, pro-cyclical and defensive, reflation and resilience, and yes, growth and value, even though I'm not the home of pure value investing. I don't think it's the time for one-way bets, but it's also not the time to value wash and become something I'm not weighed into companies that may only have fleeting, temporary periods of supernormal profits. Resilience, durability, and long-term potential are key.
0: Thank you. And, uh, John, you mentioned in in one of your previous answers that, of course, at at Dolphin, you can can take up or down the equity allocation in, in bulk rather than... Yeah. within style. Where, where is that allocation right now relative to, to, to to history, and and do you expect it to change in an upward or downward direction? Yeah, we're presently just we've just moved slightly underweight in our equity allocation,
3: um, but I, I think that there is that idea of as James has touched upon the idea of opportunity evolving, of being flexible, open minded to change as it as it sort of evolves. Um, and not necessarily trying to have the playbook of the past, because I think that would be probably something that's a little bit dangerous, I, I think. Um, so So, from our point of view, I think that's important. A couple of things just to sort of t- talk about. If you take a step back, you know, markets have been very well coordinated by monetary policy being coordinated. And, you know, that that's changed. And I think you just need to recognise that change. And I think that helps frame some of that, that volatility that, that will come. Um, I don't think volatility is a bad thing. I think we all are, are afraid of it. It's not the certainty that we crave, but volatility creates opportunities, and we have to try and condition ourselves going forward to being, you know, more aware of, more accepting of volatility, and think about how we deal with that within our wider equity allocations, within our investment journey. And so, for, for me, that's about sort of re- refreshing what. What underlying clients' views of risk are and um, what their duration um, of, of um, investment aim and, and uh, return profile are um, and making sure that they they have got the ability to cope with that and can see through those opportunities because to James's point, staying in the game, being invested, being patient um, is is the right thing to do um, the the sort of warmth of um, you know alternative strategies like running into cash it's a very temporary warmth as much as it feels n- nice at some point you you know you're going through a market where it's down 3 or 4% and um, it, it really it's not something to react to because history shows you that, that these things can change very quickly and f- for us that's why it's about flexibility about being open minded um, and looking at how things develop and uh, looking forward with
0: some degree of optimism on that Thank you for that, uh, John. And uh, Jason at 91, how do you, uh, how do you uh, see, see markets going? Is this going to be a, a sector story, a geography story, or are we going to see greater uh, synchronisation within that uh, income equity world?
2: Sure. So I think one thing that UK investors may not have seen this year is the true extent of the, the depth of falls and the negative performance of asset classes outside of commodity has been pretty uniform. So global equities and in local currency terms, i.e. excluding the impact of sterling depreciation, which we think is a true way of looking at things, are down around 15%, likewise for government bonds and also for corporate debt. So it's been a very uniformly negative environment. Within that, though, there has already been some pretty big dispersion. So uh, global high-dividend yield equities are only off around 4%. And actually, it's it's even um, better for some regional indices uh, where the yield is higher. And that's been pretty helpful for our strategy. So our fund is down for the year only around 5 um, without any uh, currency exposure. It's not reliant or been reliant on that particular aspect. I think looking forward there is potential for some pretty um, risk rotations. And in particular, I think that the growth versus value trade uh, may come back into um, fashion, in particular because we see the Federal Reserve as likely slowing growth, uh, economic growth pretty potently in their desire to tame inflation. That may or may not prove to be a policy error, but that certainly is the rhetoric that they're putting to the market now. As that economic growth slows, then ultimately, uh, growth stocks that are able to provide um, some degree of greater uh, earnings over, the, over time may come back into fashion. I think, though, that in the longer run, the inflationary backdrop potentially may remain more persistent. And that does raise questions for growth versus value as we go forward over the next 10 years or so. And I think, therefore, the shorter run, we could see some further durations. The longer run uh, raises some big questions about whether it looks anything like the post GFT era when great equities were a a certain bet.
0: Thank you for that, Jason Barbara sheen uh, co-manager of the 91 Diversified Income Fund. And thanks to James Thompson, manager of the Rathbones Global Opportunities Fund, and John Moore, senior investment manager at Bruin Dolphin, for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please do remember to tune in to the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you.